Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the Personal Resilience Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome. I am your host, Tia Hama, and today we are here with Christopher Shen to discuss how self-esteem affects your personal resilience. Hi, Christopher. How are you? I'm outstanding, Tia. How are you? That's wonderful. I'm outstanding as well. So for those who don't know you, do you mind summarizing who you are and what it is you do? Thank you very much. Uh, uh, my name's Christopher Shen. I'm a psychologist based in Melbourne. Uh, I have been practicing for uh, approximately uh, 28 years or so. Uh, I am uh, a private consulting psychologist. I see uh, my valued patients. I also provide organisational psychology services as well and performance psychology. Uh, I'm team psychologist with the Western Bulldogs AFLW women's team and also their tackling coach. That is incredible. So for those who didn't catch all of that, he isn't a very, very intelligent man. Uh, so as mentioned, today we are discussing self-esteem and that is something that is very important to your own well-being and happiness and health. So before we discuss this further, Christopher, how would you define self-esteem? Thank you. Self-esteem can be described as the feelings, thoughts and emotions we hold about ourselves when we have what might be described here as positive self-esteem we have a picture an image and a belief in ourselves that is uh, beloved that is hopeful that is optimistic when we are experiencing low self-esteem we may have regard for ourselves that is critical that is uh, low in its uh, self-deprecation uh, and also may be quite harsh. That is an incredible definition. Thank you for that. So we're going to discuss a little bit more about self-esteem and how that works with personal resilience as we get further into the podcast. But right now, we're going to do some rapid fire questions. We do these with all our guests so that listeners can get to know you a little bit better. And I find that very interesting things tend to come out in the rapid fire questions. So what I'm going to do is I'll just ask you a question and then you share pretty much the first thing that comes to mind when you hear that question. Are we good? Please. Ready? Awesome. Okay. What is your favourite book? Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay. <laughs> that is, yeah, that is incredible. Very nice answer. What is a movie you would recommend? Coach Carter. Coach Carter. Okay. Is there a reason or you have like a nice emotional attachment to uh, this movie? Coach Carter was a, a, a film with Samuel L. Jackson that uh, – was produced in uh, approximately the late 1990s where 
Uh, it's it's highly inspirational, highly motivational. Yeah. Tia, where he portrays a, a coach, a basketball coach of a downtrodden uh, high school team uh, in uh, a, a town in America, in yeah. a town where the 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 youth have a high likelihood of going into crime, being jailed, or or actually dying in, in crime. Yeah. And he's able to inspire those players to aspire for something more uh, to undertake good grades. In fact, he, he brings in rules that they can only play if they have good grades and uh, to aspire for something much greater than um, what they previously had had settled for. Uh, it's really, really inspiring. That's gorgeous. I feel like we all need someone like that in our lives. Indeed. Okay, so what is a recent podcast you have been obsessed with? Apart from yours. Apart from uh, ours, obviously. Uh, the celebrity Conan O'Brien uh, has a podcast. He's, he's recently finished his uh, late night shows uh, during the, the pandemic. And he has a podcast called Conan O'Brien uh, Needs a Friend where he will interview one of his many uh, diverse friends from uh, other entertainment uh, areas or celebrities or, or even just family members and they're witty, they're unique and they're really, really uh, illuminating. That sounds great. What's that one called? Uh, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Conan I actually O'Brien believe it's uh, just under Joe Rogan's podcast as the most popular podcast. Oh, that's amazing. All right. Have to definitely listen to that one soon. What's your favourite documentary? I always like this question. Netflix recently released in 2021 a documentary on Michael Jordan, uh, the uh, amazing basketball player for the Chicago Bulls. And it was a depiction of his champion years where they made a a three-peat in winning um, the championships and it's a real uh, expose of the inner sanctum tear uh, so you can see the way his demand for excellence actually has a, a negative effect on some of his other teammates and mm. and uh, support staff and coaches, uh, yet how his talent and uh, drive for excellence uh, is also uh, demonstrated and uh, embodied. Uh, so it's a, it's a unique window into time. That's so interesting. I heard a lot about that documentary when it came out and like you don't have to be a sports fan to like watch it. Like you don't have Indeed. to be familiar with him to be able to watch it and understand it and just kind of see how it applies not just to like basketball but other sports and that kind of mindset um, so, yeah, definitely one I would recommend everyone go have a look at. Okay, final question. Who is your famous role model outside of yourself? <laughs> I, uh, I'm i a huge uh, fan and have been since I was a, a youngster uh, of the uh, Chinese-American martial artist Bruce Lee and the way in which he gave... Uh, Asians all across the world, a strong role model of somebody who, uh, and not just Asians, he, he's been beloved by 
uh, cultures and ethnicities all around the world. In, and of strong note, uh, African Americans uh, have been enormous, uh, enormously drawn towards him as well. Uh, so Bruce Lee, for his ability to uh, strive and reach uh, a level of excellence in film as a martial art actor and also as a martial artist himself. Awesome. That is a very good answer. Okay, so moving on, we're going to have a talk about sort of self-esteem practices and habits. Um, And so it's sort of looking at experimenting with self-esteem and seeing sort of what kind of habits you can draw out to help yourself have a better self-esteem and have a better healthy mindset. So we're going to start with a quick breakdown of habits that help you specifically with your own self-esteem. So this is a really important practice for everyone. So I'm really interested to see kind of what your answers are to the questions. So first question would be, what is the practice that you do to improve or sort of cultivate your own self-esteem? Research consistently demonstrates to you that uh, adopting an attitude of gratitude towards others also self-gratitude and self-compassion towards yourself. Uh, immersing yourself in gratitude increases our positive thoughts, feelings and emotions. So a, a daily practice that I uh, undertake is to look for opportunities to express validation, thanks and appreciation to others in my life. That's beautiful. I think we should all do that. So what are three good things about this practice? Uh, fantastic. And uh, I commend you for the very good question of the three good things, which is a very nice positive psychology practice. The three three good things of the gratitude, of adopting an attitude of gratitude activity are that it uniquely disrupts the phenomenon of negative rumination, uh, which is the practice where we often brood about negative things, people and events in our life and what expressing gratitude does or accessing gratitude does to you is it uniquely disrupts the phenomenon of negative rumination because in order to be grateful for something, we immediately think and experience associated thoughts, feelings and emotions about that the recipient of that gratitude. Yeah, positive emotions. A second good thing about uh adopting an attitude of gratitude, is that it releases neurotransmitters uh, in our brain and into our our bloodstream, uh, often uh, described as endorphins, which help us feel uh, positive and it creates a a, a lasting uh, effect. And a third good thing about adopting an attitude of gratitude is that it becomes infectious and it often evokes positive responses and and other grateful uh, sentiments from others around you. Yeah. So when you talk about sort of um, having that sort of gratitude activities, would that be like where you write down like things that you're grateful for or is that kind of just something that you sort of do at the end of the day or is there like a specific kind of activity where you cultivate that? Great question. it could be any of those things. Uh, I, I recommend to, in the moment, look for opportunities to express gratitude. Yet I also recommend a regime, a daily regime, and that includes near the end of the day with a beloved person 
to actually express three blessings or three good things uh, and the reason or the causes for those three good things to that beloved person and then ask him, her or them to reciprocate. Uh, another daily regime is to journal and to uh, identify and, and write or record and dictate yeah. uh, those events, people, companion pets, nature, anything and everything that we're grateful for. Yeah, that's great. I know um, a lot of families and friends at the end of the day, especially in my family do this as well, you know, you sit around the dinner table if you're having dinner together and, um, <clears throat> sorry, <laughs> voice is <clears throat> leaving me today. Um, and you sit around and my family used to be like, even if you had a bad day, what was something good that happened to you today or what was something nice mm. that you saw? Um, and I think that's always good because you do have to kind of like think about Indeed. and like bring forward those positive Indeed. thoughts and emotions. Tia, let me uh, strongly endorse that family practice and, and commend you and your family mm -hmm. uh, because even when times are dire and we've, we've, we're all experiencing uh, some tough times at the moment, uh, we can still endeavour to identify some blessings or some good things. Yeah. So are there any challenges that come with this practice? Patients that I've recommended this practice mm. uh, as a daily regime sometimes report that they are uh, so mired in depressive or anxious thoughts, feelings and emotions to you that they actually can't identify anything. Yeah. And then they, they start uh, panicking and becoming worried that they can't identify anything. Yet what uh, I gently yet firmly encourage them is to identify something maybe overarching like nature or mm. animals or uh, indeed books, music, shows, anything or everything that they've enjoyed before. And, and often yeah. when you recommend for them to contemplate such things, they're able to then identify, oh, I am grateful, I, I do enjoy that show or that music or sound, and then that relieves them. Yeah. So... How often do you practice this? Sort of? All the time. Okay, all, all the, time. the time. Every day. Uh, so you, you may have noticed when I, I met you, I, uh, I thanked you, uh, our uh, operator today, uh, the outstanding Jerry. Uh, I thanked him for welcoming me and looking after me. Yeah. Uh, so all the time, all the time. That's beautiful. So I know you said all the time, but is there a certain time that you would maybe like set up and sort of sit down? Because I know some people like journal and they make like a certain sure. time for that. Um, you sound like a busy person, but is there a certain time that you ever set up for you or like with a loved one where you're like dedicated Absolutely. to this time? Absolutely. In addition to that practice of always looking for opportunities, in addition to that a really helpful regime to overcome the phenomenon of brooding about negatives, that negative rumination phenomenon I referred to earlier to you. Doing it just before you go to bed in your pre-sleep routine with a beloved one, uh, such as your partner or uh, your family members or a housemate or a friend, uh, doing it then just before we go to bed is particularly helpful. And the reason and rationale for that help of that practice is it disrupts anything and everything that's been going on in your day, particularly fatigue or, or tiredness, and you access the memories and associated thoughts, feelings and emotions 
that are related to that person or pet or animal or nature or event that you're grateful for. And then that also leads to good sleep. Yeah. And good sleep is really important. (laughs) So how do you think this kind of daily practice can impact your personal resilience or your perception of personal resilience? Greatly. Research demonstrates consistently that adopting an attitude of gratitude can diminish symptoms of depressive thoughts, feelings and emotions and that positive effect can last for up to six weeks or so. So the answer to that is it greatly (laughs) can impact and improve our resilience. Yeah, wow, okay, yeah, big impact. Up to six weeks, that's really impressive. So based on your experience, um, do you have any other recommendations um, for people to kind of combine this practice into their day or things they can do to improve? I certainly do. As well as the, the, the gratitude practices, we can also adjunctively, we can actually build on those with what is described as savouring practices. Okay. So T, if I asked you... Uh, what does the word savouring mean for you? What would you say? Oh, that's a good question in terms of savouring. Um, for think example, means, a meal. Okay, yeah. For me, savouring just sort of means making sure that when, especially if I'm, I'm eating something, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like this is sort of like something that stems from childhood, is when you've got, got something good and you kind of like eat all the stuff like around it and then when you get to that thing, it's like, you know, like, I'm going to appreciate this and I'm going to make sure that I enjoy this. Outstanding. That's a, that's a tremendous uh, notion and description of savouring. Savouring sometimes is described as being present. Uh, other times it's described as really making sure you cherish yeah. and uh, appreciate the, the experience, the flavours, if it's something like food <laughs> yeah. or beverages. So I really like that practice. Uh Savoring practices are described as strategies that we can use to create, maintain, grow and share positive thoughts, feelings and emotions. Okay. And that might be something as simple as a gesture or mannerism yeah. such as uh, fist bumping someone, so a yeah. <laughs> uh, smiling at someone, more uh, likely in a workplace bidding people uh, hello when you greet them at the start of a work shift and bidding them farewell at the end of uh, their shift. Uh, It can be music and putting together playlists of music that create a particular emotion or feeling and then putting together different playlists that create other feelings. Uh, uh, Listening to sounds, Uh, there's a lot of pre-recorded sound apps now that are tremendous. my partner Mia and I really enjoy listening to forest sounds when we go to bed okay. and listening to the bird song and the crickets oh, and, nice. and everything like that. Yep. Uh, and the use of affirmations and, and positive words and images. So anything and everything that creates positivity is described as a savouring activity. And those savouring activities, in addition to the gratitude practice, really can help us lift and grow our self-esteem and become more resilient. Yeah. 
That's incredible. That even just having that conversation just made me feel like, yes, I feel so much. I feel great now. Um, and yeah, it's really important to have these practices in every day. Um, like obviously I don't live at home anymore anymore, but like even I Actually that's not obvious to me. I'm, I don't know that. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm I'm I don't live at home anymore and I live with my brother and we still like even though we're not with our parents and our other siblings, we still make sure that like if we're making dinner together, oh like what's something good that happened to you today? And it just does elevate the situation and your mind is able to kind of just sort of dwell in those happy thoughts and especially yeah before you're going to bed and I think that helps like you said with sleep and actually being able to fall asleep um which and, and have good about. dreams to you uh yes. the, the sleep research is vastly uh contradictory however I've worked with several sleep doctors uh with my patients because one of the consistent symptoms of anxiety and depressive uh, disorders is fractured sleep. And and I've asked them, as I've described the practices I recommend, uh, will saving practices just before bed lead to better dreams? And the response is yes. That's amazing. That's really, yeah. You always want to have good dreams. No one enjoys having nightmares. So Correct. I think if you can do that one thing before you go to sleep and it's going to change the outcome of your dreams, I think it's very much worth doing. Indeed. Okay, so we're going to move into some more kind of in-depth interview questions where we're going to discuss um, sort of self-esteem and just sort of how that balances with psychological hardiness um, and resilience like we've already been talking about. So I think at this point, um, just for the audience, it's kind of helpful to kind of recount um, how important self-esteem is and how it's interlinked with who we are and how we act. Um, so I know we've already defined self-esteem, but can you kind of outline how important it is for our daily life? Indeed. An individual's self-esteem, Tia, is greatly influential in our daily life. And what do I mean by that? If we are enjoying good self-esteem, that is we're optimistic, we're hopeful, we're, we're positive, even though we may still be experiencing life's events, if we ultimately have a resilient approach to life that is in the face of adversity and, and difficulties, we can recover and, and, and return, mm. can go again then if if that's the case, then we're more likely to be able to take risks. We're more likely to be able to face uh, some of the, the predictable and unpredictable difficulties of life and continue to move forward. Whereas if we are not enjoying positive self-esteem, in fact, if we are experiencing low or diminished self-esteem, that will likely mean that we might be hopeless. We might feel disempowered. We might feel that our circumstances is out of our control and we will then be less likely to take risks. We'll be less likely to apply for school or work or whatever it may be. We'll be less likely to seek out social connections and and circumstances, and that will lead to a diminished day and life. Yeah. So a lot of people obviously believe that uh, self-esteem is sort of a part of that self-deprecating mindset, that lack of self-confidence. <clears throat> so I'm really interested to hear 
sort of what you think are some misconceptions about self-esteem. Um, personally, I think, and a lot of people, <clears throat> I think, believe this, and I'm definitely guilty of this, <clears throat> um, assuming that self-esteem is directly correlated with success and you can only have high self-esteem if you have success. So from your experience and what you've told me so far, what are some misconceptions about self-esteem? Thank you. That's an interesting example, Tia, that you cite that self-esteem, uh, a misconception or belief uh, is that uh, you need positive self-esteem to be successful. Um, my experience is that's not always necessary. Uh, with regards to your very good question, the research demonstrates that one misconception that includes self-esteem is that enjoying positive self-esteem will itself evoke and create opportunities, circumstances and uh, awards and treasures to be successful and will diminish challenges and difficulties. The belief is the mere belief sorry, I, uh, that's alliteration, the uh, the misconception, Tio, is by merely believing and by conjuring up a positive uh, thought, feeling and emotion that you can conjure up success. Research demonstrates that uh, that's unlikely to happen. Now, of course, okay. now, of course, you're more likely to give yourself every opportunity of being in a milieu or an environment where you can have opportunities to be successful if you are optimistic and have a, a positive, uh, enjoy positive self-esteem. However, positive self-esteem by itself isn't enough. Rather, what we need is to be able to take action. And action behaviours or an omission of behaviours, action can only be evoked when we have a will to take that action, um, that resilience, if you like. And we can only do that if we can reframe our self-esteem to one that is action-oriented. So it isn't okay. it isn't merely about, I believe I'll be successful, and yep. kind of sitting around and waiting to be successful, <laughs> yeah. like they demonstrate in some of the uh, particular uh, recordings and podcasts and videos, which, by the way, they are typically selling a commercial product or, or service. Right. Rather, as a psychologist and a mental health practitioner, I recommend for people listening to evoke a positive mindset based around one of four attitudes. Uh, okay. The first is, if I may, yeah. the first is to adopt an attitude of altruism. How can my actions okay. help myself, my loved ones, the community and others? A second very, very helpful attitude to adopt is one of learning. How is undertaking this pathway or difficulty or, or facing this task going to help me learn uh, and apply those learnings into the future? Uh, a third attitude that's very helpful to adopt is how am I able to uh, enjoy some hopefulness, empowerment and control from my course of actions and a, a fourth very, very helpful way that the research demonstrates is 
of, of adopting an attitude is based around the difficulties pass, that they're merely temporary, Tia, they're merely localised to a particular time, place, circumstance yeah. or event and that we'll get through it. And by adopting an attitude that is reframing cognitively to one of those four ways of thinking, we'll not only adopt a positive attitude and self-esteem, it will lead us to take action. Thank you so much. That's such an incredible answer. I guess um, my key question here now would be, and I feel like this is a, like something that I need a bit of clarification on and I think others would obviously as well. Um, what is the difference? If there is a difference, I'm going to assume there is a difference, um, but I'll may, ask may, you anyway. <laughs> absolutely. May I, uh, I gleefully jump in here with an example? Okay. Uh, and uh, in fact, I'm going to use a metaphor. Uh, the metaphor is uh, if one of your listeners is standing in front of a herd of rampaging uh, wildebeest, uh, merely adopting a positive attitude, having the most ebulliently positive self-esteem, yet not taking any action, will lead to that listener being run over by the herd of, of wildebeest. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas adopting an attitude of action, uh, according to one of those four ways of thinking, altruism, learning, uh, that it's merely temporary and that we're empowered, will not only enable you to adopt a positive attitude, you'll then have the ability to take action to run sideways that way yeah. whilst the wildebeest run that way and you'll be safe. Well, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Prefer not to get run over by wildebeest. Um, so your area of expertise is building resilience, um, both mentally and physically. Um, and I find this really interesting how you've connected those two aspects because they are really important. Um, our mindset is directly connected to our physical behaviours. Indeed. And you can <clears throat> see this in terms of um, sort of like physical violence. Um, so you wrote a handbook titled, and we have it right here, Wrestling with Resilience, in which you focus on how to develop resilience and mental toughness um, to perform under stress and pressure. Correct. One of the steps that you mentioned is maintaining self-esteem. Can you kind of expand on what that connection is between that physical um, sort of resilience and behaviour and that mental self-esteem? Absolutely. Absolutely. Tia, that's a, a very wise question and thank you for uh, mentioning the, the, the handbook. The There's a very, very consistently strong association and connection between our bodies, our physiology, the way that we feel, and our mind, our thoughts and, and the words that happen inside our, our mind. Mm. And not only is that experienced by listeners, I would deduce, when they have a particular attitude when their self-esteem is feeling a particular way and then their body feels that commensurate mm -hmm. that same way, we can also greatly improve our mental health through bodily behaviours and bodily actions and, and so forth. Uh, for example, I, I recommend to your listeners to have a daily regime where every day they undertake a challenging physical activity. Uh, every day they should change a daily physical habit. For example, Tia, what hand do you brush your teeth with? Sorry. When Sorry. you brush your teeth, which hand do you use? 
I use my right hand. Okay, so tomorrow I'd like you to use your left. Uh, oh, okay. And that <laughs> physical change will help stimulate different regions in your brain okay. and help your mental health. Oh, that's so interesting. Just so literally just like changing. The yeah, absolutely. By, that feels really weird. Yeah, <laughs> of course it does. Of course it does. Okay, no, yeah. I think it's, um, yeah, it's such a complicated and sort of, I feel like sometimes not well understood connection between that physical and mental thing. Um, and I feel like as humans, we acknowledge it, but it's not something that we're entirely aware of. Um, you know, like when you get nervous or anxious and your stomach starts to get sore and you're like, okay, like I'm not really, why, why is my stomach sore? Um, so yeah, I think it's an area of research that, um, yeah, it could be really helpful for people to learn about. Um, and just going to your GP and discussing it, I think, is is really helpful. I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, I I do believe that the connection between our mind and our body has been overlooked in uh, treatment. Uh, whereas what what I always endeavour to do when I work with my uh, my valued patients and clients, Tia, is to give them techniques that both address the mental uh, thoughts and matters that they're experiencing and also give them techniques that will help ease the physical symptoms that they're demonstrating as well. Yeah, and I think um, personally i found, you know, Usually when you'll talk to someone and they'll be like, oh, like if you're struggling, you know, with this mentally or whatever, you should, you should go work out, you should do some exercise. Um, and I think a lot of people think like, oh, now I have to like work out and do, you know, like squats and <laughs> stuff like that. But it's a lot about finding a form of physical exercise that you enjoy. Correct. Um, like I'm a Latin dancer and oh, that fantastic. has helped me so much. Like I had a dance class yesterday and previous to that, I was like, oh, you know, like it's cold. I'm not really feeling like I don't really want to go. Like I'd rather just stay at home and in my jammies and keep warm. Um, but then you step into that dance class and the music's there and you're having fun. And I walk out on such like a buzz and I will end up being so much better for it for the rest Indeed. of the day and the week. So, yeah, it's about finding that that thing that you enjoy doing. I guess my question would be is there physical ex is there a physical exercise that you do that you know is gonna like keep you like and improve your inner self esteem? Absolutely, uh, martial arts. So yep. I'm, I'm a lifelong martial artist. Uh, by the way, I particularly like your evocative description of the Latin dance, and uh, let me convey to you that that's a savouring activity for you, clearly. Mm, clearly one that definitely. not only <laughs> you enjoy, you're able to reframe the initial, oh, it's warm in bed, I don't want to go to, enjoying and, and, and uh, being able to derive benefits the next day. Uh, for me, it's the martial arts. I've been, I'm a lifelong martial artist and wow. uh, started when I was four in um, the Japanese martial art of judo, continued training in um, the Japanese martial of karate, discovered Brazilian jiu-jitsu and wrestling and have specialised pretty much as a, uh, a wrestling coach and okay. uh, grappling combat sports uh, expert, if you like. And any time I coach or practice, so for example, uh, tonight I'm coaching tackling and uh, teaching resilience to 
uh, the Aberfeldy Senior Women's and Under-18 Girls footy teams. Awesome. And the mere practice of that uh, makes me feel fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's so inspiring. Thank so you. obviously as we've talked about low self-esteem is something that many of us have struggled with at some point in our lives. Um, according to research by Dr. Joe Rubino, it is estimated that 85% of Americans suffer from low self-esteem. Uh, there are a lot of factors that contribute to this, um, that contribute to sort of your perception of low self-esteem, et cetera. And unsurprisingly, a lot of these factors are sort of marginalised, sorry, related to marginalised groups. Um, but for obvious reasons, everyone struggles with self-esteem. So in saying that, why do you think, and, you know, this can be an academic point of view or opinionated, why do you think humans innately struggle with self-esteem? In training uh, during childhood, uh, I believe would be one of the the key factors, Tia. Uh, you mentioned that marginalisation uh, is a key factor. I'd like to endorse that and build that any time individuals feel unsafe or oppressed or uh, attacked, then that will greatly diminish their self-esteem. Uh, for example, as we're recording this at the moment, the uh, Russian invasion of the Ukraine continues. Uh, Ukrainian refugees and and uh, citizens uh, would be fearing for their lives at the moment yeah. and their self-esteem would be uh, commensurately very, very low. Uh, it, it, I, uh, my heart bleeds for them. Yeah. No, it's, it's yeah, it's really um, devastating how those exterior things that you can't control can really affect that self-esteem. Um but considering the importance of self-esteem mm -hmm. and obviously, you know, we all go through points in our life and, you know, even if it's a major life event where your self-esteem is not going to be so great um, and that varies from one person to the other. But do you have any tips or strategies on how to sort of maintain self-esteem from, you know, before this thing has happened and you're feeling fine through it and then like out the other side sort of to maintain that throughout, you know, whatever stressful situation it Indeed. is that you're going through. Indeed. Let me paraphrase your question uh, to check for my understanding here, Tia. How can we manage our self-esteem before, during and after a, a stressful event or moment? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you. I think that it's unrealistic to be able to maintain our self-esteem during a, a stressful, particularly a distressing uh, moment, event or person. What we can realistically aspire to do is to recover our self-esteem mm. after we've faced and moved through or diminished that difficult person, situation or event. The performance psychology uh, profession has a definition of the word thriving that I'd like to evoke here. Yeah. In common lexicon, uh, in everyday usage, thriving often conjures up a feeling that everything's going well, we're successful, uh, we're uh, enjoying um, 
uh, a wonderful time and so forth. Whereas in performance psychology, we use the term thriving to refer to a sports person or a team who is enduring terrible challenges. It could be constant pain, it could be fatigue, it could be injury, uh, sleep deprivation, uh, a powerful opponent, uh, and that the athlete or sports person, he, she or they, are not only enduring and tolerating those difficulties, they're still performing. They're not necessarily winning or even performing well, yet they're continuing to perform whilst they're tolerating and experiencing all these difficulties. And we call that thriving in, in performance psychology to encourage our athletes and sports people to mentally prepare for that, particularly you mentioned before, during and after. So in the before, before a difficult, a predictably difficult mm. time to be able to steel themselves, to uh, evoke that grit and mental toughness to endure and accept that their self-esteem will drop during that terrible event, yet then look to the future afterwards to then recover. Okay, yeah, I think, yeah, like you said, um, obviously maintaining self-esteem during that situation is obviously going to be the hardest and some like not always successful and, you know, it's it's going to lower its kind of Absolutely, but, but by definition because we're experiencing deleterious uh, factors and so forth, yeah. uh, I, I put it to you that uh, there would be no one uh, – of sound mental health who is experiencing elevated uh, self-esteem um, during this current war in, in the Ukraine. Yeah. Understandably, because of these external factors out of that individual's control. However, with a view to the future, uh, if a ceasefire is, is negotiated, uh, then at that point in time when the, the, the bobbings and uh, the attacks cease and they can recover their community, then they can look with hopefulness to recover their self-esteem and their, their lives. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, that's an important point that you've um, sort of noted is that in the moments when you are struggling and when, you know, you're in a stressful situation, like remind yourself that you don't have to be completely okay and that's really important because I feel like a lot of people um, put pressure on themselves like, oh, I, I should be fine, like I should be able to deal with this. Like, you know, other people have it so much harder, et cetera, et cetera. But in that moment when you're in that situation um, and obviously we can point to so many different things happening in the world right now where people are not going to have high self-esteem um, and it's just important for you to recognize this as a form of like self-care, like, okay, I'm not going to be okay. And, um, I'm sort of not feeling too great. And that is in and itself like, okay, obviously, obviously I'm going to try and, you know, help myself as much as I can. But if there are days where I'm really not feeling great, you don't like, don't beat yourself up about it. Correct. In fact, let me jump in gleefully and strongly endorse that sentiment. It's important for, for our listeners to understand that there'll be times where due to challenges, we don't feel strong, we don't feel okay, we don't feel positive. And that is what it is. Mm. And what we can do is seek to bolster 
and recover our self-esteem when it's safe to do so, yet the priority isn't our self-esteem in those moments of challenge. The priority is our psychological and physical safety, So that, which is not the same as, as self-esteem. Yeah. Uh, and you also cited or, or used a really uh, regular practice, uh, and you do that very well, which is the practice of using perspective and telling ourselves, oh, well, I'm merely, uh, for example, I'm merely in debt uh, because of X, Y, Z. Uh, look over there, there's a war, I should be feeling okay. Well, no, uh, losing money or f- re- receiving fraud is a distressing moment and yeah. it's okay to be upset. The use of perspective, I think, is overplayed uh, because it doesn't validate the concerns and matters that we're currently experiencing yeah especially like sort of just in this weird era historical event that we're going through in the past sort of three to four years um yeah I think having that perspective has sort of been really hard to come to grasp with. I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, my COVID situation is worse than your COVID situation. My restrictions are worse than your restrictions. So like, why are you like whinging, blah, blah, blah. Um, But then, like you said, that sort of doesn't validate how you're feeling and that doesn't help with you moving forward. Tia, everybody's everybody's experience is unique Mm -hmm. and different. And whilst... Uh, particularly maybe during childhood, whilst it might be at times a useful parental tool or teaching tool to cite perspective, uh, it's actually overplayed. Okay, interesting. So in terms of uh, you mentioned sort of like in childhood having that perspective, do you have like an example maybe to go yeah, with Yeah, sure. Uh, a, uh, in the 1980s or so, uh, it was a common practice if a child fell over and uh, maybe scraped his, her or their knee, then uh, a parent might say, oh, look, that's nothing, you know, uh, uh, Timmy down the road broke his leg, you know, you should yeah. feel better about yourself. Was we now know. I'm familiar with this practice. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, let me offer you some counselling. <laughs> uh, 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 my uh, response to 2022 is to comfort the child. Yeah. You know, and, and don't cite, don't use perspective. Yeah, exactly. I think the whole sort of suck it up princess oh. perspective can definitely leave. And I think that's, it's a part of Australian culture and a lot of different cultures. Um, and that we're progressing. I think as a society, you know, we're learning um, these new things about ourselves and how to sort of um, build that resilience, but be caring and like loving in the process. Um, and, you know, that's always a bit of a balancing act and we're not always going to get it right, but it's important for us to continue learning about it. I strongly endorse that. And it's your generation, Tia and Jerry's generation, <laughs> that is effecting this Stop wonderful us, change. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're, we're doing our best. So um, we've talked a bit about psychological hardiness so far, um, but I'm curious sort of like as to what this is because um, – Psychological hardiness from the research is uh, was first considered by Kabasa and it was recognised as a collection of sort of um, personality characteristics and that level of resistance in the face of stressful situations. Is that how you would define psychological hardiness? Thank you. Uh, that's a good research. That's a very, very historical 
uh, reference. Now we refer to oh, and then that progressed into the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties, where uh, sport and exercise psychology would refer to mental toughness mm. uh, and grit, and and now we use the term in performance psychology. We use the term resilience mm. in the following manner. Uh, when faced with difficulty in circumstances, uh, resilience is the ability to recover your performance uh, and, and to continue on. Whereas in the past, they would, they would use really evocative words like grit and hardiness <laughs> and, you know, yeah. you, you've got to jut out your jaw and your chest and, you know, crawl over those rocks, you know, and all these sorts of stuff. Yeah. Whereas now it's about everyday people uh, experiencing stressors and there's been no greater stressor for our global community than COVID-19. So it's being able to continue to move on and move forward. And as we discussed uh, moments ago, and also be comfortable with not being okay as well. Yeah. And and seeking help. Yes, seeking help. So important. Um, I guess one of the questions that I would sort of have that leads off from that, you work obviously a lot in sports and coaching and, you know, helping people um, in that field. When someone is injured from like a sports injury or I'm guilty of a couple dance injuries, um, how have you seen sort of people and how would you encourage people to um, sort of motivate themselves when they're rehabilitating? Because like I've definitely had some injuries that have caused some like, you know, mental side effects when you're not you're not participating in what you were previously, which for some people, for me, was like familiar, um, familiarity. And then, you know, you've got this injury that is associated um, with this thing that previously brought you comfort, et cetera. How have you sort of seen, um, you know, sports players, et cetera, how have you seen them rehabilitate psychologically mm-hmm. when they've suffered from a physical mm-hmm. injury? Mm-hmm. Challenges when a sports person or an individual uh, sustains an injury include, Tia, what you've uh, disclosed uh, very honestly, which is that uh, isolation away from that activity that brought you such enjoyment. I'd also uh, deduce uh, probably isolation from the social connections Mm. that you have during dance when you're injured as well. Uh, So individuals experience those two strong uh, deleterious side effects as well as the pain, as well as diminished function, as well as diminished Mm. self-esteem and diminished self-image and sometimes at its worst hopelessness. So individuals who are injured or ill or unwell experience those factors and more. There's whole uh, research journals and and studies dedicated towards the psychology of uh, exercise rehabilitation and uh, rehabilitation from injury and illness. What I'll I'll, uh, I'll pricey all of that uh, research down to uh, a couple of uh, research observations. The first is... uh, how important it is for individuals to draw upon friends and family yep. and if they are sports people, draw upon their club 
for support because it's incredibly isolating. Mm. It's incredibly diminishing to self-esteem, particularly by a person who may heretofore have identified oneself through the pursuit of that activity yeah. and suddenly it's diminished. Yeah. Thirdly, I strongly encourage the active recruitment of that person to be involved. So if it's a sport, I give them a role where they can be an assistant coach or... Yeah, um, still connected. Correct. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah Outstanding. Great observation. Uh, and then fourthly, to main sure, make sure, excuse me, that we celebrate key milestones. Uh, we had a, and this is on the public, uh, in the public environment, public sphere, uh, at the Western Bulldogs in our current AFLW season, we had a player, uh, Deanna Berry, who successfully returned from a anterior cruciate ligament and ACL wow. um, injury and surgery last season and as she mm. returned as a club during these milestones, the first time she ran successfully, we all stopped, watched her and, and clapped and Aww, savoured with her. That's so um, beautiful. Her, her first uh, return to contact activities. And, in fact, I was recruited to bump her around and tackle <laughs> her uh, safely to yeah. uh, on her return for that. And then she was able to return mid-season for a game and, and she kicked a goal in her second game, I believe, and we oh, all got around amazing. and celebrated. Uh, so being able to celebrate and savour key milestones is also very, very helpful to recovering self-esteem. Yeah, I think, yeah, all those things you listed are so important in recovering your health self-esteem, sorry, um, after you know, having an injury, whether it's sports-related or not, because I think so many people struggle um, with that and it's something that I think you're not you're not really prepared for when you have that injury. Um, and, after and, and how can you be? Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, no one you, goes out and purposefully correct. gets a physical injury. Co co correct. Uh, great question. So... Now that we've kind of discussed psychological hardiness, um, there are sort of components that come with that like we've talked about. Do you think that psychological hardiness and self-esteem um, sort of require um, like things from exterior peoples or do you think that they can sort of be um, harnessed just by yourself? Like, do you think that you need to uh, go can you, out? Can and... you develop it? Yes. Can you develop it Thank by you. yourself? Thank uh, you. <laughs> I, I won't refer to psychological hardiness. Rather, I'll use the term resilience. Resilience can absolutely be developed. It used to be believed that uh, psychological grit and, and hardiness and mental toughness was an innate quality that only the the best and bravest and, and so forth uh, could uh, furnace and I think I just used a, a noun as a verb, by the way, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and enjoy. Whereas in reality, uh, what we actually know is that there are particular attributes that help someone become resilient and they can be taught through evidence-based skills and can be measured through psychometric measures and instruments. Uh, so the uh, my very, very positive response to your good question is it absolutely 
is influenced by external people and factors because we can teach and develop resilience. And in fact, uh, part of my work as a psychologist includes working with uh, schools and uh, education bodies to integrate some evidence-based activities into uh, schoolwork. Interesting. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to yeah, talk, talk about that later. Um, so we're going to jump over to a little bit of a different segment now. So this is the open mic segment uh, where you as the guest have the opportunity to talk about anything that you're passionate about or anything that you want to put on the table. It uh, doesn't have to be related to what we've talked about today. Um, but yes, so this is your chance <laughs> to be the podcast host. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a responsibility I take very, very seriously. Uh, uh, let me uh, gush very, very positively about firstly the opportunity to uh, share some ideas and thoughts today. Thank you, Tia. Uh, and uh, an area that I was quite keen to be able to talk about today, so thank you for the open mic, was the uh, importance of uh, your listeners having some daily habits to help them develop their mental health, mm. uh, help them build positive self-esteem. And I've mentioned some of them already. I'll reiterate some daily habits to improve your self-esteem include drawing upon friends and family, playing with pets and immersing yourself in nature, changing a daily habit so you'll be brushing your brushing teeth, my with, teeth your, with my left hand tomorrow your left hand tomorrow very very good <laughs> try not to make too much of a mess uh in the bathroom your brother won't be too impressed <laughs> if you do uh fourthly uh undertaking a challenging physical activity so it might be uh undertaking a new latin dance for the first time mm. uh moreover uh reading writing watching and listening to something enjoyable uh, and, and undertaking that regularly, savouring and being present in positive moments uh, and finally enjoying sleep. Enjoying sleep. Okay, can you, that last <laughs> bit I'm a bit curious about. When you say enjoying sleep, can you kind of expand on a that a Absolutely. Bit? I use the, the, the term enjoying Deliberately, a lot of people see sleep almost as a uh, an operational matter that they have to get done, and yep. uh, to the degree that they'll cheat themselves, they'll stay up as late as possible, uh, and then only go to sleep when they are getting drowsy, or they will steal from themselves. They have little cat naps throughout the day. You know, uh, the research consistently demonstrates that evening sleep, or for those of you listeners who are shift workers, at the end of your shift that time of sleep is super important for restoration, for repairing our bodies and our minds. And for me, uh, it's all about enjoying your sleep, you know, uh, undertaking your gratitude activities and then uh, going to bed with your little uh, favourite teddy bear, uh, <laughs> and looking forward to the adventures that you'll have in the land of Nod. 
That's so nice. I Yeah, like you said, I've sort of always thought about it as operational. Like, is this something I do? Of course, yeah. This is what I have to do to get to the next day. So I kind of have to do this thing. Um, so, yeah, learning to enjoy it, I think, is a very interesting concept that I'm I'm going to try out. That's my, definitely. <laughs> that's, that's my uh, gift to you. Thank and you. <laughs> uh, I encourage you to uh, endeavour to really prolong your sleep as well uh, so really enjoy it are you giving me an excuse to sleep in or uh i do with that uh, <laughs> advice what you wish to thank you okay that's how i'll take it wonderful okay so now we're going to move to questions from the audience um so we've got a couple questions we may not get through all of them but i don't know let me see which one i think is the most <laughs> interesting okay um Yes, the question that we're going to go with is, oh, I like this one. When we were teenagers, our self-esteem seems to be in the lowest point of our lives. Will it affect one's adulthood as well as in the long-term period? Can do. It can. Okay. Uh, Depending upon what actions we take from childhood and teenagehood, into young adulthood, if we have no bolstering experiences or nor uh, receive any training or uh, psychological or medical or psychiatric support, then it is plausible. Okay, that's very interesting um, in terms of, yeah, looking at that from when you've because I think, yeah, people like, oh, well, we grow out of it, like that sort of thing. Um, no, in fact, uh, one of the reasons, Tia, for the great concern at the moment about the mental health of our young people during this uh, three to four years of, of pandemic and isolation from their peers, homeschooling, uh, the, the dread and fear, mm. is that they're sustaining psychological injury that unless deliberately addressed will persevere and persist into young adulthood. Ooh, that is a scary thought. <laughs> Absolutely, which is why... Uh, we must look after our young people. Correct, which is, which is why there's such a, a focus on mental health at the moment. Yeah, that is yeah something that definitely needs to be worked on Indeed. in schools and at home. Indeed. Okay, our next question is, do you have any advice or an individual whose low self-esteem relies on external factors outside their control? Sure. Uh, It might be very, very helpful for that individual to undergo a facilitated discussion with uh, an expert psychologist or psychiatrist where... we endeavour to identify some factors within his, her or their control that are enjoyable, that are pleasing, that are comforting. If if pleasure is too far uh, an aspiration that are merely comforting or relieving, as in uh, diminishes pain or isolation, and to then demonstrate to that individual how those particular factors are within their influence and control. 
And in that way, we can start slowly creating a sense of uh, an internal locus of control as mm-hmm. opposed to an external locus of control. That refers yep. to so that indi- individual genuinely can believe and feel that they have, through their own actions, some impact upon how they're thinking and feeling. Thank you. So and our next question is, is self-esteem attributed to an individual's personality or is it experience-based? Both. Okay. Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. We are not an island unto ourselves, uh, meaning that uh, the particular experiences, memories and training and conditioning experiences, uh, the significant people in our lives, the, the the way that we respond, react, think, feel, behave, all combine together to form our personality mm. and shape our temperament. And our temperament is the way we actually behave and embody our personality. And that is both innate and also external. Uh, case in point, if we uh, over uh, exert ourselves and become really, really fatigued, well, that will often affect our ability to undertake complex um, problem solving or indeed drive, you know, when we're really, really fatigued. Yeah. Uh, so our, our mental state is greatly influenced by our uh, external state. And then to nest a loop that you raised earlier, Uh, which shows us the strong association between mind and body. Thank you for that. Um, One of my questions, I guess I'll add to the audience questions. Um, Obviously, we've been discussing self-esteem, low self-esteem, et cetera. Is there, now because they have two different like titles and names, is there a sort of scientific or academic difference between uh, self-esteem and confidence? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, Self-esteem and confidence differ insofar as uh, our self-esteem is or can be described as the thoughts, feelings and emotions that permeate us. And I often refer to it being on two or three uh, continuums. One is about hope. Uh, So we can be hopeless all the way to be hopeful. Uh, another is about power. We can be disempowered all the way over to be powerful and feel in control. And to me, they underpin self-esteem, where self-confidence is often the situational uh, deployment of self-efficacy. And, and what that means is uh, your normal feeling of assuredness, uh, your willingness to take risks, your ability to uh, utter uh, sentiments, uh, all of that uh, comes under self-confidence. Okay, thank you. That, that makes that makes more sense now. Um, another audience question that we have is, what should I do when I'm having poor self-esteem and not feeling happy with myself? In the absence of any other information... I would recommend to that person 
Uh, firstly, make sure that he, she or they are safe mm. and then undertake those eight or so daily habits that I mentioned yep. in uh, your open mic uh, section earlier. Yeah, if you want to recap that, just rewind, guys. Um, okay, and our final question um, would be, does having low self-esteem mean that someone is not resilient? Of course not. Okay. Uh, rather... It might mean that they are experiencing. Do you remember earlier, Tia, your very good question about how can we seek to manage resilience before, during, or after a particular mm. stressful event? Yep. It might mean that they're here, you know, or that they're here looking with foreboding and anxiety and worry towards a predictably looming, difficult stressor or. Uh, event like a bully, something mm. like that. Yep. So it doesn't necessarily mean just because someone has low self-esteem. Uh, it doesn't mean that they lack resilience because if they are able to endure this difficulty, I will describe them as thriving, using that yeah, earlier okay. term for performance psychology. And then we recover their, we recover their self-esteem after they're safe. Okay, yeah. Well, that answers all those questions. Thank you so much for that. I hope that was helpful for the audience and our listeners. Um, so we're pretty much all wrapped up now. For those who are curious, where can they grab a copy of uh, your book? Thank you very much. Uh, my book, Wrestling with Resilience. I got mine signed. You, you do. Uh, <laughs> is readily available online as a paperback through Amazon, Goodreads and other online providers. Awesome. Uh, it is also available in store uh, at uh, the Bulldog Shop uh, through the Western Bulldogs Football Club. That's cool. Uh, and uh, I will sign uh, copies for anybody who wishes to contact me through my own website, may I? Yeah, yeah, uh, go for it. Uh, au. If anybody would like a signed copy, please contact me and I'll arrange that. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I really look forward to reading this and going through it and just, yeah, learning more about, yeah, physical um, yeah, resilience and mental resilience and they're all very important things. So I think we can all learn something from your book. So thank you so much for coming today, Christopher. It has been such a lovely time. I feel really good now. You've been such a great guest. I feel like really nice and happy now. Um, so I hope those listening also enjoyed that and I hope you guys are also feeling nice and happy now. Um, so once again, thank you, Christopher, so much. Um, and to our listeners, don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And we'll see you next week. Bye. You have been listening to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pr.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.